HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Burlap and Barrel, a public benefit corporation working directly with smallholder spice farmers around the world to source unique, beautiful spices for professional chefs and home cooks. Hello to everyone. I'm Louisa Kasdan, your host for Let's Talk About Food, a podcast devoted to first-person storytelling where food plays a pivotal, if not a starring role. Everyone has a food story. Food is at the heart of human connection, at the center of love, of ritual, of need and want, and most of all, food creates community. And community is what we crave. This episode features our friend Annie Copps, chef, author, and cooking teacher. Annie shares her woeful but very funny tale about Singles Awareness Day. Her story is recorded in front of a live audience at City Winery in Boston, February of 2020. Let's have a listen. I have spent most of my life as a single person. What's that? It's good? Okay, thank you. And I'm mostly okay with that. Those of you who are coupled, I think you're mostly okay with, with your situation. It's sort of valentines time of year, right? And that's really a, a couple's thing, isn't it? And I have had some nice Valentine's Day where I've been part of a couple and gone to a fancy restaurant and had a fantastic meal, you know, and really enjoyed myself. And, and I've been loved by some great men. And I don't know if I've actually really fallen in love, but I've loved some, some nice men. But Valentine's Day is a, is a tough one sometimes for single people. And I've had some good Valentine's Day as a single person, but I've had some, some clunker Valentine's Days um, as a single person. And there was one that was particularly bad. It was a Valentine's Day about 20 years ago, and Valentine's Day fell on a Saturday night. And technically, it wasn't the Valentine's Day that was so bad. I made the very big mistake of um, making plans for brunch the next day. And I arrived early, which was a mistake, and I learned not to be early since that day. So I got there early. I knew the waitstaff pretty well, but I sat at the bar waiting for my friends to arrive, and I was chatting with the waitstaff, whom I knew pretty well, and I was observing the room, as one does when they're early and waiting for their friends. And I looked around. There was a post-coital fog (laughs) on the Sunday after uh, St. Valentine's Day. Every person that came into that restaurant had just rolled out of bed. And, like, they had bedhead, and they were just, like, you know, 
why would they have jumped out of bed? They, they, they could spend another 20 minutes with the person that they had been making love to all night, like another session in before their brunch plans. And so like, the, the room even had that sort of truffly odor to it. You know, what I mean? you know what I'm talking about? Why we love truffles so much? And I knew it. So my friends arrived, and we had a great brunch. Maybe you remember the Make Your Own Bloody Mary bar? I put that thing to work. I thought that, you know, some Bloody Marys and waffles would help. It didn't. This one really, like, it stained my psyche, and I had that endless loop, something's wrong with you, you don't know how to love, you're so deeply flawed. And it doesn't happen to me very often, but for a couple weeks after that horrible brunch at the East Coast Grill, which, by the way, was not the East Coast Grill's fault, I said, never again. I'm never going to let that happen to me ever again. And that, that year, I actually was dating somebody. And it didn't work out. He went to his high school reunion and met his high school sweetheart. And they're happily married with kids. So <laughs> Valentine's Day, the harbingers started to show up. It was almost a year later, the hearts. The send red roses on NPR to raise money. And Fleens had all kinds of sexy lingerie and, you know, it was not to be ignored. Valentine's Day was going to come, and I wasn't going to let it happen to me again. I wasn't certainly going to brunch, but I decided that I was going to celebrate Valentine's Day, even though I was single. So I found all my close single friends, and I decided I'm going to cook dinner for them. I'm going to celebrate love in a different way. So I planned this great meal, and I decorated my house. I got red and pink and white construction paper and printed paper and I made little hearts and big hearts and I tied white string and I stuck them to the ceiling with scotch tape so that when you walked through the long foyer of that apartment you had to go through this tunnel of hanging hearts. The dinner I had oysters with the beautiful mignonette sauce and I made a special cocktail called the SAD. The, that's the acronym for Singles Awareness Day. <laughs> SAD. Yeah. So I made the sad cocktail. It had pomegranate and ginger liqueur, ginger simple syrup, and um, some cranberry juice. It was great. The um, entree, I went kind of old school. Um, Ribeyes, caramelized onions. I thinly sliced the onions, and low and slow on those onions, they were delicious. I made roasty potatoes, crunchy, beautifully crispy on one side, got the Gruyere cheese and got the next layer of potatoes, crunchy on the second side, roasted wild mushrooms, truffle oil, the real stuff, not that petroleum, right? This was the expensive stuff. The steaks may or may not have been overcooked um, because the sad cocktail I was telling you about. It wasn't so much that I was drinking them during, but I was, to get the proportions right before my guests arrived, I did on an empty stomach, have a few too many sads. So the steaks, some were, most were overcooked, but that, that, was, that was forgiven. But I cooked a meal for my friends whom I love. I made red velvet cake cupcakes for dessert with the buttercream and red, white, and, and pink heart-shaped sprinkles on top of them. And it was a beautiful meal. And I kept up this for a few years. We did this Singles Awareness Day, the sad <laughs> dinner. And... I started traveling a lot and you know, people got married or they moved away and it was harder and harder to carry on the, the tradition. But what I did learn is that the act of buying food and planning a meal and cooking and serving people you care about is a very nurturing and loving thing to do. And it can be 
amorous, it can be platonic, it can be maternal, it can be brotherly or sisterly. It, but it's a, it's, a, it's a gift that I was able to give to myself and to my friends. And I know that I know how to love, and I know that I am loved. And I also know that I know how to cook. And Singles Awareness Day does come out as sad, but there's nothing sad about being single. So, thank you. Thank you, Louisa. I'm Ethan Frisch, co-host of Why Food and co-founder of Burlap and Barrel, a public benefit corporation working directly with smallholder spice farmers around the world to source unique, beautiful spices for professional chefs and home cooks. We set our partner farmers up to export their own crops for the first time, and they get access to a whole new market here in the U.S., and we get access to spices that other companies can't source. We're honored to work with restaurants including 11 Madison Park, Blue Hill, and Chez Panisse, as well as thousands of home cooks across the country. Visit us at burlapandbarrel.com. Jasper White is credited nationally with reviving and reinventing the regional traditions of New England cooking. An uber-successful chef with multiple restaurants, winner of every accolade in the food world, Jasper will share a deeply personal story of how a cranky customer became a treasured friend. Jasper's story is recorded in front of a live audience at WBUR City Space in November of 2019. Let's have a listen. This is an outrage. How could you do this to me? How could you take my favorite dish off the menu? What am I going to do now? That was 1980, and uh, I had moved to Boston the year before and was... uh, manager at the Harvard Bookstore Cafe on Newberry Street. The irate customer was a guy named Andy Mose. I don't know if any of you remember Andy. And the dish was a dish that I learned from Lydia the year before we worked at the Copley Plaza Hotel together. And it was a liver mousse that was flavored with caramelized onions, apples, butter, herbs, and cognac. Right, Lydia? Yeah. Delicious dish. Andy really loved it. He was freaking out. I couldn't, I, I tried to calm him down. I didn't really know him at the time, but I'd seen him in the cafe a few times. You know, when a dish doesn't sell, you can't present it at its best quality. And so it has to come off the menu. But I'm going to make it as a special once in a while. And if you give me your phone number, I'll call you up when we have it. Well, all week long, I thought about this guy's big belly, big beard, Big, beautiful face with a smile that just reeked of uh, mischievousness. And uh, I thought about him, and I I went in, made an order. Anyway, I made a 10-pound batch of the liver mousse. (laughs) I packaged it. I called up Andy. I asked him where he lived. He happened to be a neighbor. Long story short, we became best friends. We had a lot in common. We loved food. We loved drinking. We loved Beavis Bar. And... um, It was a great friendship. And at the same time, over the next few years, our careers paralleled. Andy, he went from being the traffic reporter to the co-host of the Joe and Andy show on ROR. It was one of the highest rating uh, morning shows for more than a dozen years. 
And I got back with Lydia. We worked at Parker's. We opened the Bostonian Hotel. Then I opened Jasper's. Lydia and I were, like, becoming famous for new American cuisine. And when I got to Jasper's, I started focusing more on New England. And that led to a feature article in the New York Times with Craig Claiborne about Thanksgiving. And Andy called me up, and he said, uh, Jasper, he said, I saw the article. That was great. Uh, why don't you come on the show and talk about it? And I said, yeah, okay. So I knew, being Andy, that it wasn't going to be really a serious food talk. <laughs> the next morning on the show, his partner, Joe Martel, says, so Andy, where are you going to have Thanksgiving this year? And he said, well, I've got a bit of a dilemma. I'm supposed to go to my sister's in Connecticut with, with the whole family, but I just got an invitation from Jasper White to have dinner at his house. <laughs> <coughs> And Joe said, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. Let me call my sister. And this is all on air. So he calls his sister Marla up, who was part of the spook. And he said, so Marla, uh, how you doing? Oh, Andy, I'm so happy to hear from you. I hope you're going to be here for Thanksgiving. He said, well, I'm not sure yet. I might have to work. What are you having for dinner? She said, oh, it's going to be wonderful, Andy. I'm making these little skewers of Spam and pineapple. Um, I'm making a five-cup salad. It's a cup of marshmallows, a cup of coconut, a cup of canned mandarin oranges, fruit cocktail, and imitation sour cream. And then, and then instead of the regular turkey, I'm going to bake a turkey roll. It's almost all white meat, and it's so easy to slice. And he's like, oh, great, sis. Uh, I'll get back to you. And he calls me up. Uh, Hi, Jasper. What are you doing for Thanksgiving this year? Like, what's on the menu? So I said, well, we're going to start with pemmican oysters from Maine. I'm going, to, I'm going to broil some little neck clams and put garlic butter on it. A few other tasty appetizers. Then we're going to have a rich lobster bisque with tamale toast. Then we're going to have uh, my version of Fanny Farmer's butter-basted turkey and sausage, apple, and sage stuffing, cranberry ginger relish. Then I'm going to roast a piece of venison, grand veneur with chestnut puree, and uh, Brussels sprouts with bacon, and sautéed chanterelles, and on and on and on. Next call to Marla. Marla, I just found out I had to work. Uh, sorry, Andy, we're really going to miss you. So... Most of the people that knew the show knew that he was a joker, but not everybody who heard it didn't. So the people started calling in, and they were irate. What a, what a despicable human being. Uh, you know nothing about the meaning of Thanksgiving and family. One person even called him the Ebenezer Scrooge of Thanksgiving. Well, the truth is that Andy did work that Thanksgiving. He worked almost every Thanksgiving and Christmas because he wanted his co-workers who had children to uh, be able to enjoy it with their families. He had a big heart, and he was, he was a great guy. And he did come to my house. I postponed the dinner till 4 o'clock so that he would come. And we shared many holidays together. And now I'm going to fast forward another 10 years. It's the year 2000. I had just opened Summer Shack six months earlier. And Andy said, come on the show. We'll do a little 
He was a shameless promoter of his friends, as Lydia could tell you, and, and any other chefs who knew Andy. In return, he would get free meals. But <laughs> it was basically a one-hour infomercial about Summer Chef. I had a lot of fun doing the show with him. He went home that day and took a nap, and he died of a heart attack. Um, it was so sad. It was so upsetting, and especially for his wife, Diane, who's here tonight with us. And for me, it was, you know, I lost one of my best buddies, and it was so weird being on his last show. So I think of him often, and especially at Thanksgiving. Thanks, and I hope you guys have a good dinner this year. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our team, producer Rachel Gottbaum and sound engineer and composer Michael Moss of Soundscape Boston. You can find more of our stories at heritageradionetwork.org or by visiting our website, letstalkaboutfood.com or find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's Talk About Food is powered by Simplecast. This podcast is supported by the Hunger to Health Collaboratory a cross-sector leadership initiative dedicated to reducing the health consequences of hunger. With generous support from Stop and Shop, Hunger to Health Collaboratory convenes partners across sectors to advocate for health equity and food security. For more information, visit hungertohealthcollaboratory.org. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. 